Hello, and welcome to the FinTech Marketing Podcast, bringing you ideas and insights from the world's leading financial service marketers. Today's guest is Adrian Farina, Chief Marketing Officer for Europe at Visa. We take a look at what he's most excited about in the marketing world and the world of financial services. And there's plenty of people that could build their entire careers off of that advice. Tons of advice, tons of insights. Excited for you to hear it. Before we get into it, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Whatever your payment plans, Visa, the world's leader in digital payments, is on hand with the expertise, programs, solutions, and partner networks to help make it happen. Bring your big idea to life. Partner with Visa to do it bigger and faster. Visit visa.co.uk slash fintech. Today's guest is Adrian Farina, Chief Marketing Officer for Europe at Visa. How are you doing, Adrian? Hello. I'm very glad to be here with you today, Rick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to have you. Obviously, you and I had a chat uh, probably a couple months ago now which I really enjoyed and looking forward to talking to you more and having you on the podcast today. So really appreciate you making the time. And of course, really appreciate the sponsorship from Visa for season two of FMP. My treat. I mean, happy to, to be part of this, of this journey and this, this, this great platform that you guys are driving. Cool. Well, let's get into it then. So the question that I ask all of my guests in this season to kick things off, what are you most excited about in the world of marketing right now? Uh, what I find really exciting is that what we all, the world has lived through the pandemic as sad and tough and difficult than it has been at, at a human level. For businesses in general, for markets in particular, has forced us or given us a possibility to basically rethink and challenge some of the many things that we've been doing or taking for granted years, uh, for, for, for years. Um, so... I, I One of the things I love about marketing is that it's a dynamic field. So it's not something that has a lot of repetition. Uh, well, this probably has given us the, the the biggest the biggest platform or space in in that sense to to question about everything. So of course, uh, uh, demand has transformed from the physical to the to to, to e-commerce. Uh, people stopped traveling but started doing other things. So the way people shopped, paid for things, planned the way people managed their finances changed literally overnight with no blueprint. So how do we connect with our audiences in a way that eventually they choose and prefer our products and services, well, you need to do it in a complete different and unprecedented context without any blueprint for that. So why I find that exciting? Because, well, that that triggers two emotions. Either you get frightened and paralyzed because you, you have no rule book, you haven't studied that in business school, and, uh, and again, you have no no literally no success cases no <laughs> models so either you be you could be frightened or paralyzed or yeah. the other option which is the one that i happen to, to 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 go through is to truly embrace this because what we've been doing over the last 16 18 months i always tell this to my team is frankly no one knows better whenever someone comes with a question of how do we react to again travel stopping and restarting etc frankly no one knows better so let's let's try let's test let's experiment let's find out and i find that extremely extremely exciting yeah i always say opportunity is proportional to change so the more change there is going on the more opportunity there is but you have to take initiative and take advantage of it in order for in order to realize that opportunity and also i think with marketing in particular you know, marketing's role, if you boil it down, is to connect the product to the consumer, or at least that's one of the ways that I think about it. And so if there's more change happening in the world of consumer, which of course, over the last 18 months, it's been tremendous, the amount that there has been, then actually marketing 
the marketing should be changing proportional to that extent. I saw a headline somewhere that said, um, one third of CMOs think their marketing will change fundamentally based on what's happened with COVID. And my thought bubble with that was like, and the other two thirds just haven't realized it yet. I agree completely. Again, it may be changing in, uh, I mean, I, I don't follow necessarily or react that much with trends or big headlines because you know there's a lot of uh i know uh, the business world marketing particularly it's so easy to get into oh the reinvention of everything forget about everything no of course we don't forget about the the fundamentals of what we do what you described which is connecting product services offering audiences those fundamentals have not changed the variables let's say yeah the how the way the sensitivity the timing the how, how much more careful you need to be with your resources, people and, and budgets, those uh, all of a sudden got into a complete new dimension. So I agree 100% with you. Maybe everything has changed, probably not. Maybe only a fraction of what you've been doing has changed, but those who's, who don't, don't agree that yeah. it's, it, there's a fundamental change going on, yeah, change will just happen to them. Eventually, change will happen to them. So there's, there, there's no escape, which once again, I find it as an extraordinary time to be alive and working in this industry. Yeah. So um, I'm curious to maybe double click on that for a minute. And I know we haven't even gotten to your bio and background yet, but I think let's. I think there's some value that we could unlock for people here. I'm curious to hear a little bit about how you navigated and led the team through that change, like what you actually did to go take advantage of it. Because you know, on on FMP on FinTech Marketing Podcast, we I think it's really interesting that we can bring together the worlds of traditional, you know, enterprise financial services with fintech and one of the biggest things and obviously it's a generalization is that fintechs are typically able to move faster startups are typically able to move faster than traditional businesses not always the case i know plenty of startups that move pretty slow and some big businesses that move pretty fast but in times of change speed is so important to taking advantage of the opportunity that's out there what did you actually do with your team being the cmo of europe at visa to navigate the early days or even the current days of the change that's going on? It's a great question. And it seems it's only been 18, 16 months, 18 months. And uh, it seems like an ages ago. If, if I go back to that point when, again, everything started to change so dramatically before our eyes, I, I try to approach it with a couple of you know, principles or key guidelines for myself and for my team. One is a mix of being extremely, extremely, extremely flexible and adaptable. That means it doesn't matter that it was in your plan. It doesn't matter what was approved. You need to accept and even embrace, if you want, but at least accept that you need to be extremely flexible. But that coupled with trying to instill what I think is a fundamental trait in a marketer, which is uh, curiosity. So being curious is something that, again, has carried me through my career and I, I value in the people I admire. In, in, in the industry are those that are more curious. So a, a mix of flexibility uh, and, and curiosity is one. But the other one, and sorry, when I say flexibility, it's also flexibility requires some patience, right? As I said, things were changing, signals were changing uh, very quickly. And uh, again, we need to be accepting that a degree of patience was 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 important, but I think that that's more on the if you want on the okay how to approach the the, the work the choices that we make etc. The other thing which is frankly one of the things that I I truly hope that stays with us after the pandemic is that I tried and I de- definitely instilled my team to approach everything that was going on with a with a lens of humanity first. 
So this was not just a disruption of a competitor launching a new product, a new technology disrupting you, which that happens all the time. I don't know, regulation, something crazy going on. This was the, the scale of this for the people directly affected by serious health issues, loss, personal loss, to everyone else basically on earth whose whatever, uh, freedoms, day-to-day, everything was affected. Almost everyone in the planet was affected one way or the other. And by affected, I mean going through very deep and powerful human emotions. And I'm talking about, again, I work in marketing. I work in in one of the biggest technology companies and payment companies in the world. And we work with clients of all sorts, from from banks, uh, financial institutions, uh, governments, etc., Humanity is probably not the first word that you get in business school. Definitely it's not. One thing I've tried to do and I hope that we can keep is to have that human lens. So we're dealing with humans with that are going through, again, some very severe transformational, even life-altering emotions, feelings, and even uh, uh, yeah, with, with an impact that will be long-lasting. Let's approach things with that angle first. And that had to do with not just how do we how do we try to understand the signals of whether people will be traveling or not will be shopping why they're shopping more online why they are use adopting more more contactless again let's try to even i mean um, exacerbate that focus on not consumers but human beings but also on how we treat and who we how we deal with each other our, ourselves as a team our agencies our clients our bosses or the the youngest people on the team let's Put that front and center, which frankly is not. I cannot say that it has been again such a protagonist in my prior twenty plus years of of career. Yeah, I'm smiling because uh, this is one of the later recordings of these one on one interviews that I'm doing this season, and it's amazing thinking back and how you know it's not that everybody says the same thing, but there are consistent themes that emerge from the CMOs that I've talked to and humanity being focused on the customer. But like you said, it's the human being behind the customer. Because sometimes actually the word customer can make it seem less human. Having that, which I think is a great segue to talk about, you know, I know purpose and brand purpose and being led by purpose is a big is a big thing for you at Visa. And I definitely want to touch on that. The other one is curiosity. I've heard that so much from the people I've talked to. And actually, one of the recent recordings I did was with uh, Carolyn Feinstein, who's the CMO of Vero Money in the US. I don't know if you know her. If not, I should connect you because she touched on that a ton. And just that relentless curiosity and open-mindedness and constantly learning and listening. And and to your point, that just helps you evolve and stay stay relevant. A hundred percent. So I definitely want to double-click on the on the humanity and brand purpose side of things. But let's take a, a 60 second detour from that and just get a little bit of your story. How did you end up where you are right now as CMO of Europe for Visa? What's the backstory for you? The backstory is, uh, I mean, I've, I've always loved brands and retails and shops and products. When I was a little kid and uh, marketing wasn't even in my vocabulary, I didn't know that marketing was a career or something like that. But I always had as a kid that admiration for things that eventually I realized were part of marketing design. Uh, again, lo- I would I would literally rip packaging from things that we maybe my mom would buy and, and collect logos with, I don't even, probably I didn't even know that they were called logos. So to me, they were brands. So I had that weird, which for a probably six, eight-year-old kid was a bit weird. They didn't treat me for that, <laughs> but 
it stayed. So I had that, and eventually, as I was exploring what to do, I tried. I studied. Uh, I've started three different uh, university careers before getting into marketing, which was my fourth. So for three years, I started and stopped after one semester or more. I was trying to explore what was the right thing for me, and I did it by 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 actually diving into some uh, one of the things that I thought was for me, and that's where I landed into marketing. And pretty quickly, I discovered that marketing brings together three things that I'm extremely passionate about and I'm decently good at, which is that the, the business side, I love business numbers, I love outcomes, I love things that have something concrete into it that give people jobs, that give people the ability to, to realize dreams, etc. So the business side, I've been extremely fascinated by that. But I'm also extremely fascinated and attracted by the behavioral sciences. Everything from psychology, sociology, anthropology. I'm extremely fascinated by understanding why people do the things that they do. Why do we think the way we do? Or why do we react the way we do? So marketing has that as a second key anchor. And and third, all the creative arts, right? So um, um, I have huge, huge passion and affinity for music, film, design, as I've said, all, all sorts of, of, of artistic expressions. So what I found in marketing is that wonderful amalgam of three things that could have been three completely direct, unique paths, career. I probably wouldn't have been good, extremely good at any one of those, but marketing gave me the ability to 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 blend these three. So immediately, same as I had tried three other unique careers and found it didn't work, this I was probably halfway in my first semester and said, this is a thing for me. I grew up, I'm originally from Argentina, uh, so I had a couple of jobs and then eventually landed in, in, in my first marketing job for Pizza Hut in Argentina for the franchise, master franchise or there. Then I wanted to actually get into more of a what do you call them, big marketing schools. And I was lucky enough to get recruited by Procter & Gamble. So I spent 10 years with Procter & Gamble, starting in Argentina, then left Argentina 22 years ago with Procter & Gamble, uh, lived and worked in Venezuela, in Brazil, in Chile. Then eventually, after a few years of being on the client side, I wanted to, again, back to the curiosity, I wanted to see things from the other side of the table. So I switched sides. People always joke whether it was the dark side or the light. The, <laughs> from one to the other, I moved to the agency side and I, I joined Sachi and Sachi to lead one of their operations for Latin America. That's when I moved to the U.S. First time I left Latin America, and then after four or five years with Sachi and Sachi, I got this call to to go back to the client side with with Visa this time. So it was going back to client side, but going to one of the most famous and iconic brands and in a sector that's going and still, that was eight years ago, undergoing a profound transformation driven by technology. So I've been with Visa now for eight years, half of those in Latin America, a CMO for LATAM. And four years ago, I moved here to sunny today, London. And again, I've been loving the journey of once again, being exposed to new cultures, new type of consumers, languages, uh, ways of making decisions, regulation. I know it's a, I, I, I sometimes pinch myself because I, I find myself that I'm working. I have a full-time job, but I'm also it's a, I work doing a postgraduate on the things that I like, in this case, the social sciences. So it uh, keeps that curiosity fed with what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And again, I find it, that's why I was, I mean, I, I find it a privilege, frankly, to yeah. be able to work in something that you are passionate about, that you, 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 again, you consider that you're decently good at, but then that you keep after so many years, that curiosity or the, I still 
go to so many meetings in which I need to say, okay, what was that about? Or how do I deal with that? Or, I've never encountered this before. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, you're explaining now the difference between whatever, even within a small cluster of markets, Scandinavia, Central, Eastern Europe. Okay, there's this the difference between one side of the border and one hour driving to the other side of the border and people help you understand that, I find that fascinating. Fascinating. Again, it's it's like if I were doing a postgraduate or a master's degree on something I'm passionate about while working. So it's, uh, yeah, that's that's more or less the journey so far. Yeah, amazing. So let's dive into the world of Visa. What's it look like right now? What are you focused on? How's it going? What's coming up that you can talk about? Anywhere you want to take it, but would love to hear what the world is like for the CMO of Visa Europe right now. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I've been in this world for four years now, and it's been a fascinating journey of, again, transformation in in how we do marketing here. So I'm part, of course, of our global leadership team, so what we do here follows the same type of agenda that we have globally, but trying to adapt to the peculiarities and unique dynamics of our region. When I mean the transformation in marketing is what I did when I came here was first make a big pivot in focusing way more on the markets that we serve versus what it was maybe back then a more centralized approach from our central office here in london and why is that well i've told i mean my background i come from argentina i grew up in a small market in us in the typically the smallest region for any company which is south america or latam so i have a ingrained appreciation for what it's like to be the small guy in the still having all the same problems as the one in the big market, but being one single soul <laughs> dealing with everything. So the first thing I've done was literally transform the shape of the team from being two-thirds center here in London and the rest in the markets to the exact opposite and putting people in more and more markets. So now we have marketers in more markets than ever before. And in 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 smaller markets, for the first time ever, we're having a market a marketer present there. So why is that? Because what again, once again, I believe in the starting with humans not just consumers or customers, as you very well said, humans, people. And uh, yeah, there's so much you can do remotely. There's so much you can do in reading research or or now you can do a lot of research even remotely through through Zoom, etc. But uh, nothing replaced being there on the ground or having grown up there or having that sensitivity, speaking the language. In Latin America, we have two languages plus a little bit of English in the Caribbean, but it's primarily Spanish and Portuguese. Here, again, you, you, you drive three hours and maybe you change three times the language and maybe a few more the accent or the, the specific shade of culture, religion, etc. Things that affect, once again, the way we do business. So the first transformation was that refocus on markets. Second transformation had to do with truly, truly picking up and accelerating our adoption and utilization and even experimentation with new platforms, technologies, and ways of doing what we all do are doing as marketers, from content to delivery of the content and analytics or measurement of that, trying to not just keep up, which is already a challenge, keep up with the pace of change, but in some cases trying to, to lead. So there's a few things that we've been doing here in Europe that eventually became the model for the other regions at Visa, which was pretty good and pretty pretty rewarding for 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 all the team here for instance working with an integrated agency model where truly and this is by no means new news but so talking about integration of agencies has been the talk of the industry for at least 10 years but then true versions of that working with agencies maybe come from different holdings i'm talking about you know creative media digital all of that we found a way of working here which which really did work and served as a blueprint for for other regions as well and probably the one that we are focusing more right now is 
you know, at Visa, people know what Visa does. We've been in this business for 60 years. We invented, uh, not we, I mean, our predecessors invented electronic payments and the first debit card, the first credit card, all of that. So, and we've been evolving a lot in the what we do and we're doing great marketing and communications on what we do. Yeah, the ability to pay across borders, the ability to transfer money from one account to the other, the ability to to shop online with security and, 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 and your identity being protected. So the what is something that we've been doing, I think, a pretty decent job over the years. The most recent evolution is to, to start talking about the why. Why we do what we do, why it matters, why at the end of the day, uh, yes, it's great for a traveler to be able to go from country A to country B and be able to shop and pay with with their visa card. Everything works, almost magic. That's great, but what else is in there? Why? Why that matters? And that's that's what everyone calls purpose. We call it purpose as well. Truly, it's more a belief. Right? That's that's the way I describe it to people. So, what is that purpose? And and at Visa, we have a belief which which is pretty ingrained. In, in, in everything we do, which is the belief that when economies include everyone and everywhere, they uplift everyone everywhere. So it's a pre-direct connection. And unless everyone has a fair chance to be included in economies, not everyone will have the chance to uplift and achieve the her or his biggest potential, whatever that is. I'm not talking about equality, everyone should be exactly the same places equality of access, equality of opportunity. So when Visa tr- creates and continues to create the biggest, safest network for electronic payments is because that allows more people more access to that. It allows uh, what we saw during the pandemic. Someone who had maybe a coffee shop or a bakery that has to shut their doors because of the pandemic, all of a sudden could, have, could set an online shop and be able to take orders, but also pay and get paid immediately money going through to the bank account, not touching cash in, in seconds, and able to have a business running versus having to maybe put people on furlough or, or having their livelihoods affected. So when we enable people to transfer money cross borders peer to peer, I mean, remittances is something that a lot of particularly developing countries depend on. So someone from the family goes to, to, to work across borders and then they need to send the money every week, every day, every month in a safe and secure way. So yes, it's great the technology, is great the network, it's great the security, but why it matters? It allows that family to have a livelihood with security without having to risk moving loads of cash from, from place A to place B, etc. So the, the work that frankly I'm most proud of over the last three years is a work where Visa was able to add a layer to what we do by explaining why we do it, why it's meaningful, and why we think it matters, and why is what, frankly, every business should be about. We always talk internally that businesses should be able to, to, to do well, do well financially, but doing well by, through doing good. <laughs> there should be a disconnect. But the more we can add there, okay, we can do that through by doing doing good that's probably in nirvana that's that's where you get the highest satisfaction the highest engagement that's where even the boundaries 
or the lines between what's work and what's like your 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 free time because you are truly enjoying and you are you are truly enjoying and appreciating the fact of being able to positively impact as i said a baker a worker that's working far from their from her family and she needs to send money uh, to support her loved ones so that's when you start getting the the i think that sweet spot and that's probably the i could ramble for hours on this because it's the area where i'm dedicating more time but also the one that I find more transformation and more rewarding. I can give you examples of, of some of the campaigns we've done, but again, I don't want to bore you with so many details. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the process of how you went about uncovering that purpose. And I use that word intentionally because another theme that's come up in, in really all the CMOs that I've talked to about purpose is that it's about extracting what's already there within the organization as opposed to coming up with or trying to layer on something new. It has to be inherent in order for it to be effective. A hundred percent. So how did you go about um, extracting it? And then how did you go about packaging it up in a way that you see impacting the brand and business metrics that you care about? And then I guess as a tag on question to that, you know, your regional CMO, there's also the global leadership team. How does that work with the purpose? Is it something that you come up with for Europe or how does it work with the global purpose as well? A hundred percent. Very, very good questions. First, it, I, it's absolutely right what, what you've said and what you've heard. Uh, when you try to come up with purpose and some fancy line and it's not authentic, has nothing to do with you, with your heritage, with your roots, your history, it's, it's just that. It's just... Uh, a tagline. Yeah, um, trying to be someone you're not. Exactly. Right? It's, it's yeah. unauthentic. And, fr and frankly, fortunately, I think, but the reality is that consumers are more and more uh, smart and aware of that, and they can read through that that uh, lack of or limited authenticity very quick. In our case, I mean, Visa was founded, I mean, uh, the, the founder of this company 60 plus years ago, he started, if, if you I mean, a group of us, and particularly the global marketing team, went literally going back to interviews, memos that he would write, using and picking his language. And from day one, he was talking about a world without boundaries, a world where currency is not limited by a form factor, and therefore it's, it's, it, 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 it's a friction, but it can be transacted and moved almost real time safely so that people can do what they want to do versus having to be dealing or or, or held back by that the, the the idea this needs to be truly universal everyone should be able to play in that network it's not an exclusive it never was an exclusive network and again of course 60 plus years ago purpose was not even close to be a lexicon in business the words that he used to describe why he founded Visa and the first iteration of Visa is all about what now we articulate in this way. The notion of inclusion of everyone everywhere leads to uplifting everyone everywhere. Uh, they are not literal his words because there's copywriting, of course, on that. But probably he could have used the same words himself. If you if you if you go through interviews and there's a lot of what what he saw again memos, company memos, etc. And that articulation that I just gave is 100% there. Visas, with as any other company, has values, principles, etc. Those values of inclusion, uh, level playing field, have always been there. So yes, it's more about what you've said is the, the, the unearthing or digging, uh, interrogating who you are, what drove you here, why you are in this business, 
in the first place. More often than not, you find some, some again, golden nuggets there. And I think what the team, and in this case, kudos to the global team, made an extraordinary job of, uh, you know, forensics uh, going back at in, in history and again, polishing that to, to an expression that now everyone here at Visa can repeat. In terms of the, then the, the, the process, okay, how do we bring that to life? I, I mean, when, when you are so clear on the strength and the potential of being led or driven by purpose, it's a filter that you use even when we are analyzing business deals, campaigns. I'm going to give you one of my favorite examples. Uh, at Visa, you probably know we, 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 we've been uh, for, for decades now very active involved in the in, in big, large uh, sporting events. So we've been sponsoring the Olympics for 30 plus years in America, the uh, American football for also almost 30 years, FIFA uh, for going to 15 years now. So three, four years ago, we started exploring, okay, what, what is there anything else that we could do having the credentials and the heritage that we have on, on, on sports and sports marketing that could be even more aligned with that purpose? And uh, that's, that's what drove us to evaluate the sponsorship we started three years ago with UEFA for women's football with a completely different set of uh, variables or, or the, the light that we normally would do to just analyze a property that you look at, you know, eyeballs, followers, potential, affinity with your target group. Women's football is this perfect metaphor to some of the many, many challenges that society has, right? access to opportunity, visibility, uh, leading to, again, equal access. Everyone should be able to participate. So we, we never talk about whether they should be paid the exact same thing. What we want is for both men and women to have the same access, the same opportunity to play in decent stadia, to be broadcasted in the right uh, media types, so that more people, more, uh, uh, more fans would discover that. So we became the first major sponsor for women's football in UEFA three years ago. Uh, now it's more probably is more and more, more common and more and more brands gladly have been have been also throwing their support to women's football. But the point there is that when we evaluated whether we should get there, it was not because we needed yet another sports property in our portfolio. We had, again, Olympics, FIFA, NFL. We had a lot of very good ones. It was because this had an alignment with our purpose that probably, I mean, bring, brings it to, to its, its biggest expression. And I have to say, it's been, I'm a huge fan of sports and sports marketing it's been for 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 all of us one of the most rewarding properties to work on because once again every time we do something for that you can see the difference you can see how we we even we also sponsor a few players individually when we help them uh, get more exposure get uh, maybe more support on some of the things they want to do on on the side like running clinics to, to, to get more young girls into the sport, etc. It's so fulfilling and you see the transformation, you see the impact and you see how, okay, every time we do something with women's football, the realization that that uh, access, that providing the right template, the right space for women's football to achieve its fullest potential, it becomes visible. So as I say, it's more of a layer of a filter that you start applying to say, okay, does it fit? Does it help us advance in our journey to be seen as a brand and a company that, as I said before, can do well by doing good. We take this to the last bit of your question, which is, okay, and then how do we measure that? So what we started doing is to try to, to, to start adding to the, the, the normal battery of research that we do or variables that we track, 
variables that had to do with that affinity, that identification with the brand. It's not just about is the best way to pay, is the most secure way to pay, which all of those are core tenants of our business. But we started to track and measure whether A, it's believable. So does Visa have a right to talk about women's football? Yes, because we have this heritage in sports. So it's authentic to Visa. But then does it help you think or feel differently about the brand? Because we know that if you think and feel differently about the brand, over time, you'll be more loyal. You'll be willing to even recommend and advocate for the brand. When times get rough, because every brand and company goes through rough times, you will be probably more inclined to, to stick in uh, because the, the, you have a different connection. And, and eventually, again, you're going to choose and prefer when all things are more or less equal. You're going to choose the brand that reflects more your, your values, your beliefs, who you are or, or the world you want to live in. Yeah, and I think that that's a good North Star framework for any marketer to use to think about the types of activations and campaigns and story they want to tell. Is it relevant, not just to your customer, but to your brand's role in your customer's life? And is it differentiated? Is it something that is going to add differentiated value? Is it something that's going to stand out? Is it something that's just going to be, you know, I think that's such a challenge for so many brands in, in today's world is it's not always about putting out the right or wrong thing. It's about putting out something that actually gets noticed and breaks through. So I think that differentiated piece is so important as well. So Adrian, I know that we are almost up on time, but I want to make sure that I get to ask you the last question because I think it'll be very helpful for the people listening. What are some of the most important lessons that you've learned along the way in your career? I mean, if I go from the from the very, very beginning is, uh, I will start with trying and always making sure that you are doing your absolute best. Not the absolute best, but your absolute best. Uh, we have our limitations, strengths, things that we are naturally good at. But again, I consider myself, my team, my career, I mean, we are, we are on the privileged side of the world, society, and, and humankind. So it's almost like a duty to do our absolute best. We have a duty. I always, again, I grew up in a part of the world where privilege is not that common. And uh, right, that stuck with me in my formation. I come from a family of Italian immigrants who also came to Argentina with absolutely nothing. So I grew up with that notion of you're, you almost have a duty because you have the chance, you have, you have, because you have the possibility. You have a duty to do your absolute best. It doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect, great, or it's going to always work. But it's like duty that you go to bed, you leave, uh, you, so you finish whatever you're doing, knowing that you put the, out there the absolute best version of yourself. That includes things like, of course, uh, preparation. That's something that I've learned earlier in my career, the value of preparing, the value of rehearsing. I mean, I've done, as you can imagine, at this stage of my career, I've done more than one or two public presentations, right? Uh, in which I need to speak even things that I know by heart. Still to the day, I rehearse. Still to the day, I repeat that once or twice out loud, even if it's in the car, bathroom, wherever. I don't get noticed and looked at strangely by people. I still do that, even though I should, and I know I'm very comfortable, but I still try because I want to do my best in preparation is is something for that. I mean, not taking those things for granted. Uh, and... Uh, I've talked about curiosity uh, before. I've talked about connecting as much as you can. And I know sometimes probably more people than, than, than we think cannot choose to work in some, someone they're passionate about. But as much as you can, make sure that you're working, that what you're doing for to, to earn a living is something that uh, it's a good fit for you. That it's not going to be just a paycheck or, or, or keeping yourself busy, but there's something more 
uh, on that. So uh, again, it's not always possible, but the more you can do, the better. And, and, and again, finally, it's it's the notion of staying staying humble, staying hungry, not taking yourself too seriously or thinking of yourself as, as more important than that. Again, in a way, perhaps putting always things in context. And in context is, I'm extremely proud of the work that I've done. And again, I always can refer to things I've done through my career that are, I, I know they're good and makes makes me proud, but I'm, I'm, I'm only, only a work in progress. I'm only a work in progress. I, I, I have no clue on how I'm going to face the challenge of tomorrow. I have no idea. I don't even know what the challenge tomorrow will be. What's, what's going to pop up in one of my markets, one of my competitors, someone on my team. I don't even know. So staying humble, hungry, uh, asking questions, being, I mean, surrounding yourself for people that are going to make you probably better and smarter than you are. And again, yes, at the end of the day, and that's something I try to do, not, not taking myself too, too seriously. Again, I'm lucky and blessed with the career I had, but I don't take myself that seriously. Staying curious, right? Staying curious, absolutely. There you go. Well, I, I love that. Genuinely, I mean it. And I think, uh, you know, I ask that question of everybody who comes on, and I think for the people listening, I think everybody's always looking for little injections of thoughts, ideas, motivation, things like that. But actually, I think it's much more about making the most out of the input and ideas that you get from people. So to me, with what you just said over the last two minutes, there's plenty of people that could build their entire careers off of that advice. So if what Adrian just said resonated with you, go back and listen to it again and figure out how you can actually put it into play with how you're building your career as a marketer. So that is going to do it for today. I feel like we could have gone for many more hours. We'll have to do it another time. But Adrian, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about you and what you're doing at Visa? They can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me there. There's every now and then I, I'm, I'm writing or sharing stuff and I get more than happy to connect. Uh, Eric, I want to thank you. The opportunity has been a brilliant conversation. Thanks for your engagement and questions. And again, for those of you who are listening, yeah, I mean, stay curious, stay hungry, stay humble. And again, this is a fantastic, fantastic industry and, and field to work in in a, in a unique time. So make it count. Make it count. Love that. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you want to find out more about 11FS, you know where to find us. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please do leave us a review if you have not yet. We'd love to hear what you think of today's episode and the series in general. I think that wraps it up. You can always get in touch with us on Twitter or LinkedIn at 11FS. And you can email the team podcasts at 11FS.com or me directly, eric at 11FS.com. More episodes coming soon. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.